Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 200, To Share or Not to Share, recorded August 9th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week, um, he's here all by himself, but he's enough, is Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, Seth. Hello, everyone, and bicentennial greetings to one and all. Woo! (laughs) Yes, we've hit the 200 mark. I'm not sure that really means much. because I don't think our shows are numbered. Actually, a listener um, who who was apparently going through the whole feed, poor guy, um, sent me a, an email. There was it was one line email. Actually, it wasn't even one line. It was it was a number and a question mark, and it was like one seventy six question mark. And I don't re- even remember the number now. But whatever it was, it was uh, three years ago when I took a break, and when I came back, we skipped a show number. Like you guys ended on one, and when we came back. I incremented it by the wrong number. I never noticed that. I remember us talking about the lost episode. So um, <laughs> that vaguely through the cobwebs of history and peering back over the grand facade that is the Element Open Network, I seem to recall mentioning a lost show somewhere. So this may not actually be episode 200. Or then again, we may have some other episodes in there. That were numbered wrong. So somewhere in the 200 neighborhood, but, but we're going with 200. So, um, what is that? If we did all 52 episodes a year, that would be four years, but we've, we haven't done that. But yeah, we've been at this more than four years. Yep. I think, I think April was four years. Um, um, I don't remember when the first one came out. If only there was a place where you could go to find these things. Uh, perhaps some repository of information. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, the EDL. library? Why would they have that? Elmanopi.com slash EDL slash one was posted on April 5th, 2011. So, yeah. Wow. Four years and, and some change. And That's by the way, cool. if you didn't know that, you can go elementopi.com slash EDL slash any episode number, except that missing one. Um and jump straight to the show. Um, but I don't remember what the missing one was. If you find it, yeah. let me know. I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to go renumber all the shows. Um, what we I might put, do. Yeah. Oh, what we need to do is Rick roll them. <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. So the missing one is just a link to, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that would be great. Or better yet, take it one farther, and it'd be a link to some Apple fanboy show. Oh, no, no, we can't do that. (laughs) Some things are just too cruel. Oh, I lost you. Some things are just what? Too cruel. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I wanted to uh, tell you that I, since we are a Linux show, naturally the first thing I got to talk about is Windows. Um, (laughs) I upgraded my laptop to Windows 10. Um, the, the, the one compatible machine, uh, that I have in the house, my old desktop is still running Vista. That's how old it is. And they won't upgrade it. Uh, but my, my laptop, the little thing popped up, said your windows 10 upgrade is ready. I clicked. Okay. Uh, took, I don't know, 40 minutes took longer than I thought it should. And in fact, at one point, one of the, the screens that popped up said, this is taking longer than it should, <laughs> which made me laugh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, ho hum. I it's it's 
cosmetic differences, I would actually have would have been very upset if they had charged me for that. Have you had any experience with Windows 10, Seth? I have not. I don't like Microsoft betas, so I don't play around with them. And honestly, I really don't want to upgrade any of my machines to 10. Because I, I don't really like to change just for change. There's no compelling reason to upgrade. I'm happy with Windows 7, and I'm happy with Windows 8 or 8.1 with the classic shell on it. Um, so the classic shell were- went away. Um, obviously, there's nothing to hook into anymore. It just went away. But there's a start button now. So I click on right. that, and it's essentially the uh, the start screen smaller. And now you click a start button to get to it. Um well, that, that was what 8.1 was. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Uh, and uh, the Cortana's there. Um, my laptop doesn't really have enough features. It's a, it's a cheap one. Uh, to it, can, it couldn't do uh, location. Well, I guess it probably could have, but location's kind of pointless when I don't move it anywhere. What I did notice was Windows 10, because it's one OS for all devices, there were a lot of, of mobile-centric things in there. Uh, right. settings for the for mobile web that are useless to me i played with the edge browser which is ie um it's looks a lot like chrome um <laughs> you know it just I, I was utterly unimpressed but at the same time it didn't cause my world to come crashing down well and by default now microsoft uh tracks you on pretty much everything yeah. whereas before they kind of did that incognito but now they just come right out and say hey you're sharing all your information with us, right. and that's the way we like it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but what goes. I did notice, I went through the control panel, went through all the settings, and they really do spell out everything. Um, we want to track uh, everything you type. Here's why we want to type uh, track everything you type. Here are the apps that can track everything you type. I, I like that, actually. They're v- being very open about it. Um, they're still greedy, but they're open about their greediness. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, this is really playing into the topic for the show tonight, but it's like, it's why I don't have a flashlight app on my um, Android phone because you go to download the flashlight app, this app, and it basically says wants to root your phone. And I'm like, (laughs) no, it's your flashlight. You don't need to know who I'm talking to, how long I've talked to them and who my contacts are, your flashlight. So therefore I don't have one and I'm not updating some of the software because the updates require those enhanced permission for stuff that there's no reason other than the advertising API wants to be able right. to, you know, be able to collect my mother's maiden name, social security, and last 17 pets for tracking purposes. Tesla LED is a flashlight app I use. It has no permissions. Check Tesla it out. LED. Tesla I will LED. Have to, I will have to check that out. Um, and so one other thing I want to talk about, we've talked in the past about the EDL app that uh, a fellow named Kaiser uh, has been working on. He has decided to uh, branch out and make it a um, an app that can load any feed. Uh, but uh, he and I have been working really closely about this as to how to build this. Um, and it's not going to be uh, where you can upload any feed you want, right? Because then you're creating a community around somebody else's content without their uh, consent or even knowledge. So we kind of decided that was a bad idea. So you have to pe- petition to be added to this app, which I think is the right way to do it. It's going to slow. It'll be like a, um, uh, last FM or some of those things where, where you have to, somebody has to add you up. And, and, and so we're working, it's still really beta, but I just want to tell you, he's, he's rebranded it Zcast. 
and uh, you can find that uh, on our on any of our recent episodes, all of the links that uh, that uh, used to go to um, the uh, the EDL app are broken because <laughs> I just realized that I need to fix that. Um, but <laughs> they uh, they in the the most recent one. It's uh, the the link there is for Zcast. It's on our website right now. That's the only place it is. You can't get it in the store because it really isn't ready for prime time. But we need people to pound on it, even if you pound it on the old one. Um, Massive changes to this new one, including the back end. Now it uh, ties into your Google Plus profile. So if you already have a Google Plus profile on your phone, boom, you're logged in there. Um, uh, due to the way that his back end system is currently working, um, the, you have to have a Google Plus profile. You can't just, uh, like, for example, my apps account, I don't have a Plus profile. It won't let me log on. That is a bug, not a, a feature, not a bug. Uh, but I, I hope in the, in time that we can we can work around that feature uh, because I do think we shouldn't force everybody to have a G plus profile. But right now that's the way it works. But I encourage you to please go check it out. Um, go to go to my uh, it's uh, I think the link is just elementopi.com slash file slash zcast. Um, but zcast.apk. Go to this the the notes for this episode and click the link. That's the much easier way to do it. Uh, but I, but please do check it out. Um, it requires no permissions. Uh, it's uh, I dec- I'm telling you that it's safe. I've been t- uh, testing it. Um, the only reason it's not in the store now is not so it can't be vetted, but because it's just too raw, and we don't want to put it out there on the public. Uh, but I do want you guys. I need I need some of you. Um, you know, the more the the better to go and uh, to to download it and use it and test it and, and uh, give us feedback about it. We know that the landscape orientation is pretty craptastic right now, so just keep it in portrait mode for now. Uh, but please do check it out. What I'm saying is I need you to be better beta testers. Microsoft doesn't say that. They say, hey, we've got a new thing, if I were. <laughs> uh, but they're really asking you to be beta testers there, too. So anyway, Zcast app, check it out. I'm super excited about it. I really think that with time, this is going to be the podcast app I've always wanted. Yeah, it sounds really, really awesome. Yeah, it's going to have moderation features. It's going to have, uh, you know, uh, you'll be able to assign moderators. Uh, it already has toast notifications, so that when somebody comments on something, like as you're going along and uh, uh, listening to the episode, when somebody made a comment there, it'll pop up a toast notification to say that there's a comment at that time uh, code. Really cool stuff, and and again, still very beta, but. Even in its beta form, it's, it has me super excited. Cool. Excellent color commentary, Seth. Not the best color man in business for nothing, Mark. <laughs> Doesn't really say that here. <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, was saying before the show that I, I just re- watched uh, Anchorman again last night because I was in the mood for some, some brilliant uh, stupidity. And Anchorman definitely qualifies as that. Anchorman two, I think, is heavily heavier on the stupidity, uh, stupidity, and and lighter on the brilliance. Uh, but yep. I still like them both. Uh, but uh, Major League, the thing we were just quoting there, also brilliant stupidity. Yes, the first one. Yeah, the second definitely. one, um, it holds its own. Okay, the third one just didn't need to happen. Um, and then are was back in the minors. Was that the fourth that, one or was that the third one? That was the third one. That was the third one. Okay. Yeah. Was there a fourth? I hope there wasn't a fourth one. Um, the one was. Uh, are you thinking the one with Scott Bakula in it? Um, I th- maybe where where the little Asian guy who had his marbles. Um, right. Yeah, that was the third one. 
Okay. You know, too bad there's not some... If only there was some resource online <laughs> yes. where these kind of answers could uh, be had. Okay, so it looks like there were only three. Major League, Major League 2, and then Major League back in the minors. So uh, The internet has killed the bar bet. You know, people used to go out to the bar and have an argument and say, I bet you $20, and then they'd go back and they'd pull out their LP and look at the liner notes and say, yeah, it was 1976. But now it's just, okay, Google. Um, my wife was filling out some forms the other day um, for kids. Uh, can I just rant just a little bit? I have three kids in the same public school system. Why make me fill out the same blankety-blank form for all three kids when it's all the same information? And I put all three kids' names on all three of them. But it was just insane. They kept sending the same form home, literally the same form, the same like mimeograph glitch uh, in the same upper left-hand corner, the exact same form every teacher sent home. And we had to fill out. Stop it. Have you ever heard of SurveyMonkey? I could do this. You don't even need to build an infrastructure for this. You could do this with a Google Sheets um, survey. Stop it. But anyway, um, you see, but needed then to- we wouldn't be killing trees and, you know, <laughs> it would be good for the environment and it would help cut down on the stress mark. All can't of have these that. things, all of these things you were mentioning that's going to take away from the self-help lobby it's going to take away from the environmental <laughs> lobby the it's going to take lobby. away from the teachers union and the pharmaceutical industry how dare you try to destroy capitalism with google of all things so i uh um w- while she was filling out the form my wife needed her her work phone number she didn't ever call her work phone number. She doesn't know what it is. She talks, she has her boss's cell phone number, right? And I think a lot of people are probably the same. I have to look up my home phone number every time because I don't know what it is. So she was like, uh, her phone wasn't within reach because she was just going to look at the, con- the contact on it. She asked me, do you have my work number saved in your phone? And I just kinda, I looked at her inside and went, okay, Google, what's the phone number for? Yada, yada, the name of the business. And it spoke the number back out to me. I was like, why, why don't you just trust the Googles? Just trust the Googles. <laughs> and uh, you don't have to type anything. Uh, in, if, in fact, she went to a birthday party on Saturday. Um, and she said, I need the invitation so I can type in the address to my GPS. And once again, I rolled my eyes and said, okay, Google, navigate to and read the address off on her phone. I grabbed her phone and, and did that. It's like, just, you, just stop it. Stop typing, people. Okay. No comment. Okay. But um, you know, typing ahead. is quieter. So it's more peaceful. Just- <laughs> and, and except when you're on that 17th time that you've typed, uh, Waldo and it keeps saying Waldorf and you're like, that's not quieter because you're going, ah, yeah, there is that. But again, I'm trying to keep the pharmaceutical <laughs> self help, uh, and, uh, anti stress med societies, you know, it's expensive to have those jets and Caribbean getaways, Mark. They need money, too. <laughs> so what's causing you stress in your life, Seth? Well, I am still looking for a job. I had some really good interviews, and I got a call like Thursday night at like 730 from this uh, one firm that I think it would be cool to work for. And they said they were going to shoot me a job offer uh, the next day, and it didn't come. So I'm hoping it was just they they were busy. And then... Uh, hoping i'll get it monday and then there's another company too so it looks like i'm gonna have like to actually make a choice which 
I hate making a choice <laughs> between jobs. So I just not, I like to take the first one and run, but if two arrive virtually simultaneously, I might have a mental breakdown or something. So maybe you could find one that's less than a seven hour commute for you. That would be awesome. You know, I mean, here, here's the thing. 70 miles for $60,000 or 40 miles for $45,000. That's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. So, you know, to me, that's enough money to where it's worth it to drive the extra in the car. Well, and it depends on what what those 70 miles are. If it's, if it's 70 miles at 70 miles an hour, do it. Right? Where yeah. where where I live in northern Atlanta, uh 70 miles is literally an all-day trip. Yeah. That's for me it's like 55 miles at 75 80 miles an hour and then 15 miles at 5 to 20 miles an hour. Yeah. So but yeah, uh, it's okay. Go, go. I'm that's ready. it. We're, we're done. I'm, I'm cutting you off. Um, we don't have any listener feedback this week. You guys took a break when we took a break. Stop it. Um, uh, want to jump in? We have a, an inch, what I think is an interesting topic. It may, in fact, take us seven minutes to discuss it because I'll say my part and Seth will go, yeah. And, and that'll be that. We'll just have to see. Uh, but we're going to jump into that in a minute. But first, we have to do this, uh, article about, IT jobs growing, um, and the the computer the computer world needs you. Yes, this is from Tech News World. So, um, and the title of the article is "Cyber Warrior Demand Outpaces Supply," um, and kind of the takeoff is there aren't enough cyber soldiers to fight the good fight, and we're not talking cybermen for all you Doctor Who fans. Cyber soldiers, uh, cybersecurity jobs have grown three times faster than IT jobs generally in the last five years, and that growth doesn't seem to be letting up. Noted Burning Glass CEO, um, this is not a flash in the pan phenomenon. The level of skill required to get cyber jobs makes this a tough problem to solve. So there are. You know, unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be tons of entry-level positions, but there seems to be tons of Uber qualification required positions. So, you know, the cyber world needs you. Yeah, one of the interesting things I thought about this article was is that they they say that there's a shortage of certified people, not necessarily people that know how to do the job. The, the trick is is that our generation, the 40-somethings in tech, we grew up doing this stuff. We grew into the jobs, right? We were the right. guy who who kind of knew something, and so we became the local expert, and then 15 years later, we know how to do everything in this narrow field, which is exactly what a certification tells you. I know how to do everything in a certain field. But I, for example, don't have any of the certifications. Um, you know, 15 years as a Windows AD administrator, I don't have a Microsoft certification. Um, more than uh, a decade of experience as a Linux server admin, I don't have any Linux server uh, certification. So when I go to get jobs, people look at me and say, you don't have certs. Um, and, and oftentimes they don't even get past the that section of the resume. They'll jump straight to your certs and your education and not even get to the part where you look at your experience. And that's frustrating, but it it also is the world. So uh, what what the, the tech news world is saying is you need to go get a certification. Yeah, you really do because there's, you need the certs to get past the hiring manager to where you can regale the actual supervisor with your experience and war stories. But unfortunately, experience and war stories don't translate good to a one or two page resume. Right. So, but then again, you know, like a lot of the security certifications, like the CISSP, 
uh, like the first requirement is you have to have five years documentable in the security field. So me, I have like, you know, 12, 13 years in the tech field, but I only have like two of that is documentable in the security field when I was working for McAfee, um, end user support. So I don't qualify for the CISSP, which is a pretty well known security certification. Um, so, but you know, so for a lot of the, once you get past kind of the entry level certs, it gets more, they are more a reflection of experience rather than, a way to open a door that otherwise wouldn't be open. Right. I, I have a former student that I follow on Facebook um, who was one of my computer students uh, way back when, um, and he uh, is is forever posting about the new certification that he got. And he's he's certification heavy. He's you know many years my junior, but has way more certifications than I do. Uh, and even though he has way less experience than I do, he'll be able to get a job anywhere. And in fact, he has. He's worked all over the world because he's got those certs. Um, and you know, I, as an old fuddy-duddy, I I would like to say you should look at the character of a man. You should look at the quality of of his work. You should look at his his experience. But I also recognize that certs are the thing, and it has held me back in my career. Uh, I quite honestly, it's held me back in my career not to have certifications. I went the college route. Having that degree has helped. Because there are still a lot of jobs that won't even open the door if you don't have a college degree. But right. not having the certs has hurt more, I think, than the college degree has helped. It kind of, And again, we've had that discussion before. Part of that depends on which field you're going into. Right. Um, you know, if you're going into an education field, um, a college or a university, they are going to place a lot more value on having a degree versus having certs. But, um, and again, some of the industries, it just kind of, and then you get down to, well, what is this hiring manager like or whatever? So it can be a plus or it can be a minus, but by and large, you are correct. The certs, um, in the technology field open more doors than the, uh, um, degree does. And at this point, I would be the worst podcast host in the history of podcasting if I didn't tell you about the LinuxAcademy.com, the place where you can go to get your certifications. Um, and, and we've heard me talk about them now for over a year. Uh, and, and it's not just because they write me a check. It's because I believe in them and because they write me a check. Uh, but they're all about getting you certified for the knowledge you already have. But they're also... They're, they're, they have the word academy in their name. They don't have the word certification. It's not linuxcertifications.com. It's linuxacademy.com. Their job is to teach you. And they do this, you know, the, the new way, the, the, the digital native way, video, uh, lessons, the YouTube way. But it's way more than just a YouTube, uh, lesson. They, they get your study guides, this amazing lab infrastructure, uh, that just has me super excited. Uh, and every time I talk about them, I, I, um, hit this because you don't get this anywhere else, at least that, that, not that I know of where you can spin up to four different machines in their protected environment and play with them and break them. And, and they run on the Amazon web backend. So they're, they're lightning fast to tear down and rebuild. And you can get real world, world experience in a, in a virtual world environment so that you can experiment, you can break things. And, and in the end, they have uh, cert- certification pretests and they're, they're uh, partnered with the LPIC and the uh, I, 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 T, I, I, help me, Seth. Uh, I, a, a CompTIA LPIC. CompTIA, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I could. Uh, it's the I 
the, anyway, wow, CompTIA. Uh, they're they're partnered yeah, with You're thinking guys. of the IEEE. That which, one. Yeah, they don't really back yeah. a cert. So. The, there's a, no, there's an CIEITIE. There's, I'm just, I have no idea. I'm going to say EIEIO because <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, they have partnerships with uh, both CompTIA and Linux Plus, not because they're, you know, in the back pocket, but because these two organizations, CompTIA and, and, uh, um, the Linux Plus certification, the LPI, uh, looked at them and said, this is good content. We want to partner with you so that, that you can, we can get more people who are taking your courses to take our certifications because we recognize that more certifications in the world makes us look better and makes our your students look better it's a it's a symbiotic relationship and just recently they released a new open stack stack certification that's you know that's kind of where the world is right now uh, you get your own pack of OpenStack Labs. Uh, you can fire up a server in less than ten seconds. They've got a SQL uh, courses, and they've got PostgreSQL, and they've got they've got all kinds of new courses that they're adding all the time. Go check them out, LinuxAcademy.com. It's only going to cost you the most you'll ever pay if you just want to dip your toe into the waters and say no commitment, no uh, strings. Twenty five bucks. Twenty five bucks will get you a month of access and a month of of there's way more than you could do there in a month. So, but pay for it for twenty five dollars. Pay for it uh, for a month. Look at it. See if you like it. Twenty five dollars is is you know a gourmet pizza. It's not that big a deal. Every college kid can afford twenty five dollars. Look around. It's it's you know a very mi- a minor commitment. And then if you like it, buy in bulk like everything else. The more you buy, the less you pay. If you buy for three months, you get sixty five dollars uh, for three months for a quarter. That's only you know that's a ten dollar discount right there. If you buy annually, two hundred and fifteen dollars, which breaks down to less than than eighteen dollars a month. So you can't lose price wise, and you can't lose content wise. It's a win win. Check them out, Linux Academy. Dot com. Yeah, and the other thing to mention is the targeted learning aspect of it. You're not listening to some four-hour lecture that you have to, you know, the important content is somewhere around the one hour and 27 minutes mark. No, they're short, simple, easy-to-digest courses. You take this course, did you master it? No, go back and listen to that short lecture again. And it's a great thing to keep even after you've been through, because if you want a refresher, hey, how do I go and remotely connect to a server? I mean, okay, everybody knows how to do that. But, you know, that's one of the lessons. You know, you do that, bam, for five minutes, you refresh that one particular aspect you needed, rather than trying to say, oh, crap, it's in here somewhere. And, you know, it's very easy to use like that. Targeted learning. Yeah, the, the, the relevant information is somewhere around the hour and 27 minute mark. That's what it would be like if I did the lectures. If this <laughs> right. podcast were the lectures, that's what it would be like. The relevant content starts at about 30. I've seen actual links that people have done to our shows saying, Hey, so and so was on the, uh, the everyday Linux show. Go check it out. Interview starts at the hour mark. And okay. Guilty as charged. Yes. So I was getting ready, uh, let me back up a little bit. Uh, my family, for the last 11 years, has had a Sunday morning tradition. Sunday mornings, we go have donuts, and then we go to church. Um, and this started um, when, when, I, when my youngest daughter was just a baby. Uh, my wife and I, prior to having children, were very active in our church. Um, and I realized after the, the child was born that we were still super active in the church, but it was cutting into our family time. We weren't spending a lot of time together 
as a family. So to to counteract that, we decided to claim both Sunday morning breakfasts and Sunday afternoon lunches. No matter what happens, those two times we're going to spend together as a family. Often the lunches are with friends, usually friends from church, out at a restaurant, but we, we do those things together. I keep those things. There's, there's no meeting I'm going to let happen. There's no activity. Uh, those are, those are sacred to us. Um, so the, there was a, a donut shop where we came from, the Kim's Donuts, a couple of, beautiful Vietnamese couple named the Kims. And so every morning we would go have breakfast with the Kims or every Sunday morning. When we moved to Atlanta, the very first thing we had to do was find a good donut shop. Um, (laughs) And everywhere around here, there are Dunkin' Donuts. And if that's not a good donut shop, I'm sure that at some point in the world, somebody's had a fresh Dunkin' Donut and it was tasty. I've never had that experience. I've only had day old Dunkin' Donuts. Um, because that seems to be all they sell around here. So after some searching, we found this little place, and I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I want to keep it all to myself. Um, and we would go there, and the donuts were delicious. And we could always get right in. We've gotten to know the family there. They know us because we've been there, you know, three years, 50 Sundays. We've been there 150 times. Um, and so we, we've gotten to know them, and as soon as we walk in, they know what we're going to order. And, but the problem is over the last 18 months or so, maybe two years, other people have started finding out about this gym. And now we'll get there some mornings and there's a line out the door and around the sidewalk to get these donuts. They're that good. Or maybe it's that other donuts around here are that bad. So as I'm uh, sitting on the edge of the bed this morning, putting my socks on, getting ready uh, to go out, it, it occurs to me, I wonder how busy the donut shop is. And I thought to myself, you know, there, there's no reason I shouldn't know that. That data is knowable. That data is easily knowable. Um, between Android uh, and iOS, you've got pretty much every household in this area covered. There, you know, this is an affluent, relatively uh, area of North Georgia. Everybody here has at least one uh, smartphone, and in, in you know, in many cases, many more smartphones. So I should be able to pull up, uh, you know, that data. Okay, Google, how busy is a donut shop? And it should be able to look into its database and say, well, over the last hour, X number of MAC addresses have gone into this place and X number of MAC addresses have left and their average time between going in and going out was Y. So we can expect you to have an X weight and there's going to be probably Y people there when you get there. There's no reason that data shouldn't be available to me, except that everybody's scared of, oh my God, tracking government money, bad evil. Um, and so it, it kind of... it made me think but to share or not to share that's the title of the show are we missing out on the benefits of anonymized disaggregated data or aggregated rather data because we're afraid of what might happen with our personalized disaggregated data and my answer to that is yes we're absolutely missing out on that take it you know the donut shop app uh, notwithstanding if we could gather um, the the health information of everybody everybody in the country and anonymize that, aggregate it, throw it all together, and have that searchable and say, you know, show me patients with X BMI of X age uh, who are on X medications and, you know, show me their genetic sequence. There's no reason we couldn't all have our gene sequence now. 23andMe does it for 100 bucks. Um, so we could all do that. And that would be that would be a huge treasure trove. We could find uh, causes of diseases. We could find potential cures for diseases. We could certainly find corollaries and collations of diseases, but we're all scared to do that because my protected health information is the most important thing to me, and I don't want anybody to find out about it because evil. 
And when you talk to people, when I talk to people, I can never get a good, solid, well-reasoned um, uh, argument for why they don't want to share data other than bad people. So, you know, the t- Seth, tighten up your tinfoil brow- uh, visor here and, and talk me down off the ledge. Why, are, why should we be so scared of sharing that which is already known? Dude, uh, great minds think along the same lines because I was sitting in my room this afternoon thinking about the internal debate of open up my phone and just, you know, bleep myself out there and tell everybody everything I do versus keeping my data tight to my vest. And the best answer, the thing, it's not so much what happens to the data today and what happens to the sharing today. There's two words that are the reason I don't like it. And it's, and it's mission creep, you know, because, oh, well, all of this won't happen. You know, you could go back in time and see how your social security number would never be used for identification. That was one of the main reasons it was passed is that it will never be used for an identification number. And now it is your identification number. So my, my data goes out there. And then the next thing you know, my insurance rates get jacked up because they see I go to Wingstop once a week, Wendy's three times a week, and the donut shop four times a week. I knew, so, I knew so you were going to bring up the insurance company. I knew that, it. That's going to happen. And that's just one example. You know, I but, just but, don't. Okay, but but okay, stop. No, the, insurance, okay. the insurance company already knows that. They know that because... You weigh freaking 400 pounds. I don't know that you do, but just for an example. Right. Uh, and you go to the doctor and your cholesterol is high and they already know this. That They don't necessarily know that you go to this particular wing stop every Tuesday, but they know you live an unhealthy lifestyle. Because right. Because you, you have the, the body of somebody who lives an unhealthy lifestyle. I, and and I'm, I'm saying you, what I actually mean is me. I'm pointing fingers back at right. me. I'm, I'm a giant fat tub of man. Um, and I have, and I am not because of genetics. I, I, you know, people like to, to play that, play that off. Well, I have a genetic tendency to, uh, being overweight. Okay. Maybe that could account for 30 pounds of overweight. I'm freaking 300 pounds overweight, or at least I was at my heaviest. Now, what a lot of people don't know is, is I've recently lost about uh, 60 pounds, uh, after, uh, in the past losing about 70 and then gaining 60 of them back. So I'm kind of back to where I had been a few years ago, but I'm in the process of, of, you know, recovering, uh, the man that I need to be by changing these habits. And the insurance company doesn't need to know that I go have donuts once a week. They, they need, they need to know that, you know, I'm, I'm 450 pounds. So I, I, that's a straw man argument, and I just simply don't accept it. Okay, but I wasn't using that as the reason. That was just in that aspect. You can pick any other thing, and it will be the mission creep of the data going out there. If your information is out there, then it's easy to track and see so-and-so is not home because they checked in to Hawaii, so they're probably not at their house. So now everybody knows I'm gone. And then you're getting into security and the security of your friends. And then you've advertised a vacant house and you've advertised pick any topic. And it's not so much because today it's new. It's out there. People are afraid of it. So companies are halfway interested in at least saying the right things of we will guard your information. But come tomorrow, they won't care. 
and then it will be out there and it will be tracked and you will you will say or do something that will be transmitted somewhere and then you will have no control over personal secrets that you don't want people to know. You know, not that you have, you know, four petaflops of kitty porn stashed under the chimney at your house. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm just saying you don't want people to know your business. Okay, but you, okay, I'm going to stop so, you there. Okay. Because you have just conflated my argument, and you do what the tinfoil hat people do all the time. You have just crossed over into secrets. It is no secret that I go have donuts. Everybody there knows that I go have donuts. Right. Everybody on the road between my house and there knows that I go have donuts. That's not a secret. Every traffic camera that I pass knows that. Um, it, th- this is not secret data. I'm not talking about sharing secrets. I'm talking about sharing public data, data that is already public. And that's the problem that, that the, the security nuts um, always jump to. They always jump from no, perf- publicly known and knowable data to uh, secrets. I'm not talking about making all your secrets public. People have the right to secrecy. For example, you know, I've, I've often heard it said, uh, you know, if you have no, nothing to hide you, you shouldn't have any, uh, fear of, of your data being out there. No. When I go to the bathroom and I'm taking a dump, I have nothing to hide about that. Everybody takes a dump at least once a day. That's sort of the, that's the, the, the natural cycle. It, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not afraid of it, but I don't want it broadcast on the internet and neither do you, frankly. Um, so there, there is such a thing as privacy. There is such a thing as secrecy. But, but this fear of sharing things that are already known, already public. When I, when I go outside, by definition, I am in public. The only way I can keep all my stuff to myself is to never leave my house. So I'm, I'm gonna, once again, I'm gonna reject that argument and throw it out. You cannot use secrets because that's not what I'm talking about. The- I'm just saying the more data that you put out there and the more coalesce and cross reference it is, the easier it is for people to know your patterns, okay, to know so your movements, you just to know where it. you are. You just so, hit on it. It's easier, right? It could already be done now. Anybody with uh, a telephoto camera and a, a tank of gas could follow me around and know every restaurant I go to and and everything I do. The same data that Google is tracking when they're tracking my GPS. It's just made it easier. Since when has easier been a bad thing? You know, I mean, like I say, I I don't like it because if somebody's following me around, then I have the chance to know they're following me around. If if some if some hacker in insert place Uzbekistan, Russia, China, or Dallas, Texas. You know, if somebody is monitoring my, um, my phone's Mac address on cell towers, I have no way to know that. And I have no way to take any steps to protect myself. Or but what is there to protect? Somebody gathered public information. Information right. that is broadcast. You are carrying a radio transmitter with you that is pumping out that information to anybody with a radio receiver. It's not encrypted. It's publicly available data. So what are you protecting him from? You're protecting him from knowing that which you are broadcasting voluntarily everywhere you go. Like I say, I, I know, I know the arguments for them and they don't convince me just like the arguments against it don't convince you. I, <laughs> 
you're not helping, Seth. You're supposed to be more of a nut about this. So I was I was talking with a guy uh, at lunch today, a good friend of mine, who will tell you he is a tinfoil hat uh, privacy nut. Uh, so he doesn't. I'm sure he won't feel bad about me saying that. Um, and he was talking about uh, Wi-Fi routers and, and Google when their when their street uh, uh, view cars were driving around, they were capturing that information. And he equated that to be you know the Big Brother. I think he actually used those words, big brother uh, watching you. And, and I use the same argument I just did with you. Uh, what what did big brother do but gather that which you are already broadcasting? Um, so what I, what I think we need to do in this debate, um, and not just between you and me, but overall, this when this conversation is had thousands of times uh, a month or a year, even a day, across the country, we need to separate secrets from public data. I want to make all public data easily available because I think the benefits of sharing public data far outweigh whatever contrived uh, harm there is. There is no harm in sharing that which is already public. I mean, I, I understand your point, but, and there might not be a harm in sharing it, but there's a harm in retaining it. Why? So convince me. Well, it was, um, you know, we did this new story, um, a few months ago where this guy did a freedom of information request and there was a traffic camera that was positioned and would take photos and it would catch his driveway of when his car was there or not. So if I can go back for six months and look at your driveway and see every Tuesday at 945, his car is not there. If I'm like, what would be an easy street? What would be an easy house in this neighborhood to target tomorrow morning? I have an hour and I'm a cat burglar and my big gigs are later in the month and I need to be able to fence something. Well, I can go look at this date and say, oh, he's gone every Tuesday. So I'm going to go there. And if he's gone, I'll know he's going to be gone. And But if it turns out he's there, then I won't do it. Whereas if otherwise he has to stake the place out. And again, I know you could say 10 full hat security. That's one example. And I don't, I just, I don't like that. Yeah. you. And again, your argument comes back to it's easier for bad guys to be bad guys, but it's also easier for good guys to be good guys. Wouldn't you agree that we have gained uh, tremendously? I mean, uh, again, you, you have a different life than I do. You live in a rural area. You commute to a downtown area, but uh, there's there's only a couple of ways to get there, and you know what they are. Where where, where I live, uh, I I take every trip with my GPS on, not because I don't know where I'm going, but because up to the minute traffic data can mean the difference between a, a 30 minute commute and a 90 minute commute. Um, and and that Waze app and, and the Google Maps app that c- collects the Waze data uh, only knows that because people are sharing their data. That is a greater good that comes from people making easy to access. Yes, bad actors, it's easy for them too. Uh, so what? I mean, easier is easier. Um, are, are, does it mean that lazy bad guys are going to, to be more bad than they would be? Were, were they before so lazy? That it over overpowered their bad guyness, uh, and now that they had to rise to a certain level of bad guyness to to over to, to overcome the laziness, but now the laziness threshold is way down. So just a little bit of a bad guy can be a bad guy now. 
No, it makes the bad guy, just like it makes the good guys more efficient, it makes the bad guys more efficient, and they get more bang for the amount of time they invest in their being bad. And? I don't, I don't, I don't see that as a negative. I really don't. Yeah. Like I say, I'm just, <laughs> I'm a private guy. I don't want people knowing stuff about me. So if... If I could do like, if the stuff like, you know, data and genetics and all that, if it could be randomized and disassociated from who I am and where I live and it could just be, you know, a guy in this general area of this general age has this health profile, I would be for that. Okay. But so you, you walked right into where I was going to go next. Okay. So what, what is the burden of proof there? You, you have set this thing. If this could happen, how does somebody prove to you that that's the case? They don't, which is why I would not be for right. giving them my stuff. You, you but, tinfoil hat people have that you always go to the same argument, and I you're just a tinfoil visor person, but you're representing the tinfoil hats today. You always put the people in the position of proving a negative. Once you prove that I cannot be hacked, then you will trust me with your data. Well, I can never prove that I cannot be hacked. Nobody can ever prove a negative. So now you're you're putting a burden of proof on me so high. That you can, it's a specious argument that sounds good because you say, well, I'm a reasonable person. If you can prove to me, uh, then I'll, then I'll agree with it. But you've set a burden of proof so high that it's entirely unreasonable, but you're trying to sound reasonable by putting unreasonable, uh, things on it. So what you're saying to me, Seth, is that there is never a mechanism by which you would ever be comfortable with sharing, say, your genetic data publicly. No, I'm not quite that far. I'm just, there's a difference between saying we're going to store the thing that identifies this genetic profile with Seth Anderson of this address versus we're going to store the genetic profile of a, you know, Germ Germanic descendant man in his mid forties who lived in East Texas. Right. If so how, do, so what's the mechanism by which you would accept that? Because once they have your genetic profile, there is, a, there is exactly one of those in the world. So you are giving somebody the the sum total of your uniqueness and trusting them to anonymize and randomize that. What's what's the mechanism? What's the threshold at which you would you would give that trust? When the when the form for it does not ask for my name, my address or my social security number or direct parentage. But okay. But to, 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 to use your own argument now, uh, I'm going to turn the, turn it around on you. So now that I have this genomic information of one, all I have to do is search, uh, medical databases of every, you know, urine test that's ever been done. And I can find your name and your, your social security number and your parentage. So because the, te the same technology that, that made it shareable also makes it easy for a bad guy to be a bad guy. Why is that? Why is that acceptable? Well, again, so what you in order for your scenario to work, you would have to trust not only the people you're giving your genetic information to, but every doctor, every country doctor who's ever told you to pee in a cup. You got to trust them the same amount. I, I, I again think it's an un, uh, unacceptable standard. I don't think you can ever get there. I, you know, I, I haven't considered that. I just, but I'm, I don't see me going down and doing a, you know, a, a genetics test. So, so what if, and again, what if I, I could prove to you mathematically 
and I can't, but what if we're conjecturing? What if I could prove to you mathematically that if 100% of the 300 plus million people in the country submitted to a genetic sequencing, we could beat five types of cancer next year? Would that change your argument? Would that greater good argument make any difference to you? Hmm. I would I would have to consider that, but my first reaction would be no, but I would have to think about it. And and your first reaction is no because bad guys. Well, just because I'm a private person and I don't want I don't want my stuff to be out there. What yeah, I'm not talking good stuff or bad stuff. I'm just talking my stuff, period. I don't want it out there. I don't want it available for public consumption. Okay. And and you know, I'm I'm making the the case of an all public lifestyle, right? But I'm very careful when I'm on this show to never tell you uh where I live and what school my kids go to. I understand the value of keeping some things um harder to get. Um it would not take much for you to find those things out. In fact, probably a Google search would show you that. Uh but certainly I've given enough information in the last 200 episodes of this show that you could probably pull up in my driveway someday and say, Hey Mark, Tom McGillicuddy, nice to meet you. Um, I accept that as a reality. Um, and yes, other things would make it easier for you to do that, but it's already possible. And it's because it's already possible that I'm not so worried about it. Um, because the lazy people who won't do the Google searches now certainly aren't going to get in a car and drive to my house to meet me. Right, but I at least like the illusion of privacy. <laughs> so, you know, and I understand there's very little private and far more of me is available to be pieced together from my digital footprint than I would like. I I know that, but that's one of the reasons I don't want to give any more because so much of it is already out there for you to find. So, you know, if you want it, go look for it and leave me alone. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I know, is, is that stupid? Yes, that's stupid. But, you know, my privacy has been stripped from me and I don't really have a choice in the matter. And What's that's what I hate more than anything. Is this, this notion, this Western North American concept of privacy is historically very new. Um, it only came to, to be in, in, the last hundred years, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's just not a, a, a lot of things. Think about it. When you're, when your community consists of the hundred people around you in your village, what privacy is there, right? When you're a, 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 a colonist in Virginia, uh, in the winter and, you know, in the spring you had 12 kids and in the summer you have 13 kids all in your one bedroom house. You know, how much privacy is there, uh, especially in your, so the, the concept of privacy only really developed culturally as we began to spread out and erect, um, you know, barriers. Uh, and, and it's something I've, I've put a little bit of reading into, not great study, but, um, it's a, it's not unique, but it's a, it's an unusual cultural artifact, um, of, of the fact that we are separate, right? The, the, uh, the American, um, frontiersman, left England or left the, the the East if he was born in America and struck out on his own to make his own. 
and he struck out and he said, this is my land, this is my house, and, and I will defend it with my life. Uh, and, and that sort of developed this concept of privacy where, where sharing, um, like you, you used the perfect phrase there, it was, the information was stripped from me. Um, I totally don't see it as that. It was never yours to keep. Um, you, you, you are a member of a race of people, and there's certain information about you that simply by existing, you give off. But you want to guard that, and I don't understand why. I, I guess I was born without that gene. I don't understand. I was also born without the filter what you say before you say it gene. Uh, so I recognize that that uh, there are certain ways that I just can't think like other people can, and I and I can't understand why um, there is such a preoccupation with with uh, consent, right? So your whole argument comes around consent, right? If I consent to company A having this information, I'm assured that company B will get it without my consent. Am I, have I hit on that? Is that pretty much the, the core of your argument? Um, that, that is definitely a large tentpole of it. But here's the thing. Going back to what you were saying, in that small community, I know them. And I've made the decision ah. to be in that community. If I, if I don't want to know them and I don't want them to know me, I'll go somewhere else. So and reciprocity like, seems to be a core value of trust. And right? also friendship and, well, I mean, that goes back to recipro- reciprocity. Uh-huh. But like my friends around me, they know me. They know me in detail. You know, they know where I'm going to be. They know how I would react in, in a situation. And I'm okay with that because I've invested in that relationship. And, you know, you could talk about, well, you're investing in the common good humanity and all that BS you want to. But I, <laughs> I, you know, part of it is I grew up pretty much by myself. My brothers are old enough really to be of another generation. So I didn't have and my parents worked. And so I stay with my grandparents a lot. So they're even older. So I kept to myself. And that's just. That's how I developed is keeping to myself. So, um, I value keeping to myself and I value, I don't like people coming in and it's, it's just like, and my mom, I mean, okay, my mom loves me. I know that, but like, I, I hate telling her anything because I'll say, Hey mom, I got a job. And initially well, blah, 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 you know, and then it's these barrage of questions that I don't have a chance to share or to tell the story or to tell anything before I get hit with all of these questions that are just taking the facts out and robbing me of the ability to share. So, and you know, that's just part of my personality. I would rather share this information with you than you try to take it from me. So if you try to take it from me, that means I don't want to tell it to you, even if I did want to tell it to you before you started trying to take it from me. And that that's part of my personality and who I am, I know. So, but yes, trust and community is missing in, you know, whenever the interface is a, you know, a screen of sand and pixels. What, what, I, what I find interesting about that, Seth, going back to that, that concept of, of reciprocity, um, I'm trying to think how I can say that. So in my model, everybody shares everything. Um, so would it not ease your conscience a little bit to know that for every bit of information I can, can get about you, you can get about me. 
So that 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 reciprocity thing is in place, but again on a global scale. Uh, what what makes what is it that makes a difference? Is is it, do you need a human connection from somebody to, before you can before that reciprocity value counts? In a lot of ways, yes, because it's like I hate like you know IMDb is always what did you think of this movie? Rate this, rate this, so we can tell you what you will like based on what you rated. I would rather go in and hunt through movies in the genre and find something and take the risk of watching this and going cool. I loved it versus I wasted my time. And that's, that's more of who I am. You know, it's just, I, I value the archeology span of going to dig something up versus being handed something and says, here's what you might be looking for tomorrow. I I don't like that. I think though, that we're going to get to the point where processing power is is so readily available and storage is so readily available that everything that can be known, everything that is known, can be accessed in a moment. Um, so I, I think that we don't have a choice. We're already going to be there. Now, it may not be your your genome, right? But we're, we're going to get to the point where... Um, the 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 question of who's at that donut shop you're going to be able to ask it and 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 have a machine answer it using publicly available information uh you know traffic lights uh cell tower information all you know all that sort of stuff so i i i'm trying to to phrase a question here when that reality comes to pass well, first off do you agree with me that that is that is going to happen Oh, I totally agree with you that it's going to happen. And the fact that I don't like it means it's going to happen all the more sooner. I understand this is the way Seth likes it. So because I like it this way, that tells me based on my knowledge and experience that a significantly large majority of the population doesn't like it this way. I understand I'm in the minority camp here. So when, when, when we get there, when, when the, the asymptotic curve of, of technology growth, reaches that point where there is no difference between um gathering and and inferring information right because as machines get better at making inferences um then they they'll be able to to tell you more answers with less information so saying that we get there let's let's say 10 years arbitrarily when we get to that point how are you going to feel again it's a conjecture you can't know but is are you going to freak out about it Freak out, no. Lament, yes. Okay. So, you know, I will then, I will be putting whatever resources I have towards the hopefulability of time travel so I can go back and be like a, a middle ages monk, um, ascetic hermit guy. So I was born like 500 years too late. I need to be one of those wild desert hermits you, uh, you read about, you know, in some whatever class. So, but yeah, no, I understand that that day is coming and, you know, and it's not like freaking me out. You know, I'm, I'm not going to like, not going to like do something stupid, but I will lament that something was lost. You know, the, the ability to discover the way I like to discover and it, you know, you can argue that going in and, and seeing, you know, population shifts and all that there's discovery in there. I understand that. That's not the kind of discovery I like to do. You know, I'll be 
maybe I'll be close enough to retirement that I can just kind of <laughs> ease on in there. So I, I, I just, I don't like it. And, uh, get off you know, my lawn. pretty much. Yeah. It, you know, whether it's evil or not, just get off my lawn. I'm not making a value judgment. Just leave me the bleep alone. Cause it, so. it's been, it's been a decade or more, uh, probably closer to 15 years since, uh, Google rolled out Street View. Um, and it was very limited at first, right? right. Street View couldn't tell you much information at all. It was, it was like a, uh, first there was the satellite maps. They gave you that data. And I remember the very first day I typed in my address and there was a picture of my house. It was an unsettling feeling knowing that anywhere, anyone in the world could, could virtually walk down my street and see my house. Now I routinely virtually walk down streets when look at houses when I'm trying to find a place I've never been. Um, it's street view is now one of my favorite features of Google Maps. I love the fact that when I get a, a direction, it'll, you know, when I finally get there, it'll say your destination is on the left and it pops up a picture of the office building I'm going to. And, and I, so it took a decade, right? Well, the shift happened way before that, but in a, in a decade's time, I went from being very uneasy about this to being uh, f- disappointed to maybe even frustrated when Street View doesn't show me a picture of what I want to see. Um, did you have a similar experience? See, I like the fact that if you type my address in, Google doesn't recognize it. Because they've never and set so, a house down that old road. Well, no, no. If if I car. go on if I go on Google Maps and move the marker to my address, it shows what it looks like when I leave my driveway. I mean, I can see, you know, like whenever my dad went to, uh, he did a cruise out of New Orleans and I pulled up the destination. I did the maps and I printed the turn by turn things. And the very first picture is looking across the street from our driveway. So it knows, but luckily it doesn't understand my address and it just point puts a marker in the town, in the center of the town. So closest to me. So, and I personally like that fact. I know it's hard because I can't tell somebody type this into Google and follow it here, but I take joy in the fact that my address does not show up. Uh, so would you, you go so far as to never live in a place that is on the map? Or no. may, maybe not never. If you were choosing a new home and you had an option, they're both rural, they're both the environments you like, you had an option between one whose address Google knew and one whose address Google didn't know, would you choose the one, which one would you choose? You know, honestly, I wouldn't have considered it. It, it, that thought wouldn't have been in my mind, but now it will be. I'll never forget (laughs) that. And I'll like, what is Google? You know, where does, so I, I don't know. You know, it's, it, like I say, it's one of those things that it's coming and there will probably, probably be an update whenever, um, cause I remember there was, um, there was an update and it's been maybe two or three years ago where when I told people my address, I could tell them, I could tell it to them one way and it would work. But then there was an update and within the space of about a week, every place where I would like order something, I couldn't type my address like that. I had to type it a different way for the software to recognize it. So I know there will come a day when I type my address into Google and it will put the pin where it is. So 
it's it's coming i understand it it's you know it's um H. smith has me in the headlock and the train coming in <laughs> do you hear that sound mr sound anderson of that is a sound of inevitability and so yes it's coming and i doubt i will have the strength to jump off the tracks and beat the crap out of him so um i you know i don't know would I, like I say, I wouldn't have thought to search it out on Google and see, oh, it doesn't show up, cha-ching. Um, but I don't know. I think I would prefer the one that, that would not be the deciding factor in my choice, but that would be a factor in my choice. So that goes on your, on your decision-making spreadsheet now. Yes. Because yeah. you do make a decision-making spreadsheet, right? What sane person doesn't? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's just a mental, uh, two columns in my head, but that would be a factor. But like I say, that would not be the deciding factor. People in my office laugh at me because I use a spreadsheet for everything. It's like, how did, how did you come up with this? I used an Excel spreadsheet, use the concatenate formula and the, the, the and then they just kind of roll their eyes and walk away. Uh, yeah, there's nothing you can't do without a spreadsheet. <laughs> um, so, audience, what do you think? You've been listening, right? And you've probably been talking to your phone or, or maybe yelling at it uh, as you've been listening to this. What, what, where do you come down? Uh, am I not Pollyanna enough? Do you, are, are you wanting to be, you know, let it all hang out? Um, probably not. I know this audience fairly well, and I think that I'm probably on the extreme end of publicness for this audience. But I am interested to hear what you think. Um, specifically, I need a well-reasoned argument that doesn't end in bad people. I mean, I need you to tell me a, a, a logical reason other than this might happen. And then I also need to know an acceptable, discernible, achievable threshold at which you'd be okay with it. Um, that's what always bothers me. You know, in, in this, this is a religious debate in that it all comes down to which what you choose to believe. Um, and they, you can't convince me that publicness has no value because I am just as unreasonable as the argument Seth put out. There's no, there are no facts you can put out. There's, there's no um, uh, threshold you can reach at which I say there is zero value in publicness. Um, and, and, Likewise, they, I, I can never, I will also never agree that there's zero, zero value in privacy. I'm not saying that, that privacy is, you know, dead. I, I've, I've actually heard that phrase on other podcasts and, and, and particularly in tech circles, uh, or education circles, rather. Um, teachers are, are big on the whole publicness and openness thing and on sharing. Um, and, and I've heard people say, you know, privacy is dead. It's not. We will always have secrets. But there's a big difference, and, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about and we didn't hit was the conflation of, of privacy and security. We, the, the, the Uber tinfoil hat people say those are the same thing. Privacy equals security. Security equals privacy. They, they're, just, they're just not the same thing. You know, how many times have, have we used the phrase over the years, security by obscurity is not security? Um, so that's, you know, privacy does not equal security. You're not safe just because you're private. And you don't necessarily have to be private to be safe. What are your thoughts on that, Seth? Um, I would agree that they are not the same, but I will say there is a significant portion of overlap between them. 
You know, you, you, you can talk about them. You can distinguish between them, but at the same time, there's a lot of elements that fall in both. And to a certain extent, privacy is an aspect of security, um, that will be there. Again, it's not the only aspect, but you know, and coming back to my philosophy, it's part of the same reason I don't like to beta test software because it's too, it's too crappy and security of all this public information is too crappy at the moment. So th- there will come a shift to where I'll be, I'll use Windows 10, um, you know, and then there will come a shift probably where I will be okay with being not quite so get off my lawn. I might not say get off my lawn, just don't touch my porch. So <laughs> leave uh, the azaleas alone. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I was soliloquizing there. Uh, listeners, tell me what you think. I am truly interested in what a wide cross-section of people uh, who listen to this show think. So if you've never commented before, I'm, I'm imploring, imploring you to comment on this one because this is, this is something that is not only personally interesting to me, but I think it's an issue that our society must resolve. Um, because if we don't come up with, in, in many cases, technology is outstripping society. Um, it took a while for society to come up with rules about cell phone use. And we kind of have those now. The guy who is sitting uh, at the table at the restaurant with his Bluetooth earbud in yelling uh, at an unseen person, society now sort of all agrees he's a jerk. And we're kind of all okay with him being shunned. It took a while to get there, though. Um, and, and for the most part, people know not to do that. So society had to adjust to the new technology. And and I think the the that society can only adapt at a given rate. I don't I don't think that humans can adapt past x whatever x is. But technology will always be x squared and then x cubed and then x to the fourth. Um and so society is always going to outstrip or excuse me, technology is always going to outstrip society. And if we don't get a handle on this now, technology is going to force us somewhere that maybe we don't want to be. And and I think that the way things are going right now, technology always favors openness and favors aggregation of data. Uh, that's where we are right now in our uh, tech, you know, sort of gestalt. I, I don't even know how to put into words what I'm thinking. You know, uh, early on, there was, there was industrialism. That was take an analog process and and make it a mechanical or an organic process and make it mechanical. Then there was digitization, take an analog process and make it digital. Now it's take a a uh, a unique process and make it uh, amalgamated. So now that we're in, we're we're past the digital age. We have digitized our lives. Um, the analog is now the obscure. Um, so now it's it's we're getting to the point where we want to aggregate everything. And so the silo is going to become the obscure. And so we have to wrestle with this and we have to come to grips with it as a society or, or it's going to cause a fundamental break. And I don't know, I don't know how to get past that. I don't know what it is. I'm not smart enough to see that answer, but I can see that in, you know, in my lifetime, there's going to be some serious pressure exerted there between the machine's ability to gather all that is knowable. And the humans need to have some things unknown. 
Yep. Okay, um, so I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm thinking I'm extemporizing here, and Seth, I'm way off the reservation, and so it's not Seth's fault because he has no, he has nothing to say about this. I'm totally going off the page here. Um, yeah, and you know, and just between the two of us, you adapt to change a lot more than I do. True. So I mean, a, a lot. I don't say more, but at a faster rate. I embrace it, whereas yeah. you don't. But I will make the random embrace of something that nobody else ever thought of. But, um, so, you know, it's differences in people. I'm, I'm the slow plotter type person when it comes to a lot of things like that. Um, I'm not the, uh, I'm not, you know, the, the flash. I'm more like Hulk smash his way through life rather than the flash trying to outrun everyone. So. And you're right. I, I mean, you've known me a long time. You know me well. I embrace change. Just because it's changed. Right. Um, and I don't necessarily need it to be better. And, and I, but I, I also recognize that I am, you know, I'm a pioneer, right? And the pi- pioneers get shot in the back. Um, uh, the pioneers take the arrows and I, and I sometimes I come back home with arrows sticking out of me. Um, right. And, and that's something I'm willing to do. But, you know, when I was in the, in the education world and in the job I have right now, I, before I try to introduce a change, I want to make sure that change is not only better, but is way better uh, before I even go there. Because I recognize that there has to be value to change. But in my own life, in my own little microcosm, I embrace change for the sake of change. And I will step backwards in productivity for the sake of change if I, as long as I understand that that backwardness in productivity is, is temporary. Um, so that's why I'm willing to work with experimental things. So that's why I'm, I'm willing to load, you know, an alpha version of software on my home theater system and actually take a step back in functionality because it gets me on a track that's going to go forward faster. And I'm, you know, I'm the pioneer spirit in that. I understand I'm unusual. So I don't think that my attitudes about publicness are normal. I'm abnormal and I don't. I don't think that yours are either. We represent different ends of the spectrum, and the rest of the world is somewhere in between the two of us. So, listeners, tell us where you are in between the two of us. And you can do that at elementopi.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. You can send us an email, edl at elementopi.com, uh, or you can call us, 559-IMOP. Uh, that's our Google Voice number. Leave us a message and uh, and let us know there. So uh, we didn't really have any time for news because, my gosh, I dragged this out a long time, and it was all me, and I get it. <laughs> um, so, Seth, tell us um, uh, what happened this week in history. Okay. Uh, August the 7th, 1944. IBM dedicates the first program controlled calculator, the automatic sequence controlled calculator, best known as the Harvard Mark I. And uh, I had to go to Wikipedia and look it up, and I just want to read this little bit about it. The automatic sequence controlled calculator, Harvard Mark I, was the first operating machine that could execute long computations automatically. Automatically. Um, the project was conceived by a person at Harvard University and the Mark one was built by IBM engineers in New York. A steel frame 51 feet long and eight feet high held the calculator, which consisted of an interlocking panel of small gears, counters, switches and control circuits, all only a few inches in depth. It used 500 miles of wire with three million connections. 
3,500 multipole relays with 35,000 contacts, over 2,000 counters, and over a 1,000 tent pole switches, and tiers of 72 adding machines, each with 23 significant numbers. It was the industry's largest electromechanical calculator, and your smartwatch can probably run circles around its computational ability. Everything about that, everything you said, was analog. This was not yes. a digital device. This was no. pre-digital. Right, but it was one of the first ones that like didn't use punch cards. It could yeah. run. It could kind of run a program versus just accepting the punch data. So this was, and it was used by, um, this was used by the Navy uh, near the end of World War II. Um, so wow. I mean, just that's, it's freaking huge. And it was a humongous breakthrough for its day. Um, in a lot of ways, the Harvey Mark one represented, um, the, uh, Babbage difference engine that you're like dusting off your computer literacy going, why do I recognize that name? In a lot of ways, it was the fulfillment of that. Um, but yeah, that happened in 1944. That's fascinating. Uh, I'm, I'm in the market for a new phone. Um, and I've been looking at specs, right? And I'm looking at flagship quality phones just because, because, um, and so the stuff I've been looking at is like, but do I, I'm trying to decide, do I want, uh, three or four gigs of RAM? Um, you know, the, the 64, the 64 bit processor is a given. How many cores do I want? Do I want a, a two core that'll consume less battery life and run cooler? Or do I want to go ahead and step that up to a four core processor and, and storage space? Do I want, uh, you know, a, a 64 gig card or, or more? <laughs> And these are things that I'm all deciding, and I'm like, well, I can't really spend more than about $500. So this machine probably cost the equivalent of a trillion dollars in today's numbers and was the size of a small house and could add 23 digits fairly quickly. There was a um, there was a big debate because of the encasing they built cost fifty thousand dollars during the war, and there's a lot of people said that money you know go with a cheaper casing. That money and that material can be better utilized in the war effort. So you know you got to think they're gearing when this is being built and designed. They're gearing up for D Day, um, and uh, they're thinking you know fifty thousand dollars worth of metal and material working. You know, that's a lot of artillery shells and maybe a tank. Um, but no, we're using it to house a calculator. Yeah, a tank is probably a good analogy. It probably weighed about the same as a tank. And it was a calculator. Yeah. But and now they, they could, give those out at convention centers. Solar-powered calculators are just a swag thing that they throw out at you. Yeah, you find them along the side of the road. And one of the things about the Harvard Mark One, um, they used it to compute whether the implosion method would be better than the gun method for the atomic bomb. So, you know, it kind of they he was able to do it um much faster over that, I guess, than by hand. So Yeah, fascinating. When I was uh at the uh Rocket Center last weekend, one of the things they had was Werner von Braun's uh slide rule. And I showed my kids, look, see that? That used to be a calculator. And you would move the numbers up. And I don't even know how a slide rule works. I couldn't even explain to him how it works. But it was, it was when you needed to do math, you use that ruler and you move things back and forth. It was one step above the abacus in terms of portability. Um, and look at where we are 70 years later. That's all. 70 years later. 
okay, Google, what's... <laughs> yeah, that would be fascinating. You ca- you put one of those numbers, one of the calculations that the Mark 1 did, you could probably speak it into your phone and get the answer. Yeah. Ah, this stuff is amazing. And, you know, where are we going to be 70 years from now? Like I said earlier, it's a, it's an exponential curve. Um, we're not twice as fast this year as we were last year. We're squared this year as we were last year. Um, fascinating stuff. Um, okay, Seth, what about your uh, show closing spectacular? Okay, this is a website I found a while back, um, ebombsworld.com. It's just a place you can go and, you know, it's one of those, hey, here's 17 quotes from sort of famous people. Here's how not to do a squat at the gym. There's just stuff like that on here. It's a place, kind of a bubblegum for the brain type thing. And uh, it's just a cool little site. I came across it. I thought I would share it. it's blocked by OpenDNS, by the way. I clicked that Really? Link. Wow. Uh, this domain is blocked due to content filtering. Who knew? This site was categorized as video sharing, humor, adult themes, lingerie slash bikini. And because okay, I yes. have young kids in the house, I don't know. Yeah, la- lingerie slash bikini. I've I don't spend a ton of time on this site, but I've I've never seen like boobs or blatant cussing. So I mean, you know, there's been none of the bad cuss words, the unbad cuss words you see <laughs> everywhere now. They're on here as well, but. So, yeah, but there's like bikini and lingerie type stuff. Cool. Uh, and I, I cut you out of that last week, just totally forgot. So I wanted to make sure I got it this year, even though we're, you know, uh, another hour and a half show. I was thinking, you know, this is a, a fairly light discussion. It's just the two of us here today. This should be a fairly short show. We did no news and it's still an hour and a half long. You just, it's me. I am the problem. Well, I mean, I I set you up. Um, I I threw out, I hit every buzzword that would cause you to rant. <laughs> you did. Um, so, and it, it's fascinating because you you all use the same argument. The, it you you privacy guys. It's like you get together, and you you probably have a fax line, right? Because you don't trust email, and you're sending a, a fax circle around and saying, hit this point, hit this point. When he raises this one, ask this question. Uh, no, we we use dead drops because we don't trust faxes. <laughs> There's an old mailbox down on Oak Post Road. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, just a quick aside: you ever wonder how cities and and roads like that get their name? Like uh, out where I used to work, there's a city called Telephone. So it's pretty easy to tell where that came from. It was the first telephone in the area, mm-hmm. so it actually became the name of the city. Well, as we were driving out to Alabama, we passed a city called Walls of Jericho. That's not really a legacy that I think I want to name my city after. Yeah, Walls of Jericho. I would not know why you would call yeah. your city Walls of Jericho. Yeah, Walls of Jericho, Alabama. You know, it, it, for the same reason, I don't know why you would name your child Jezebel today. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging with us. And I really do look forward to your feedback. Uh, Seth, sh- uh, no, you're Seth. Chris should be back with us next week. Um, and I've been promising guests, and it's my fault. I just haven't gotten them scheduled. Uh, but there will be more than just me uh, being bombastic in the near future. We have a couple of guests lined up. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, as always, uh, we we need to know 
We don't need to. We would like to know what your topics are. What would you like to have us discuss? And if you want to come on, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm inviting you onto my airwaves. Isn't the right word? My bits. No, that sounds bad. Uh, I'm inviting you onto my show. If you've got a, a topic, if you, you want to surf our stream, yeah, if you've got a, a topic you feel passionate about and you want to come and 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 talk about it, hey, send us an email. We, we will certainly entertain that. Um, and you know, ideally. If you spoke English, that would be great. Uh, so, but uh, thanks for listening. And uh, for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Linux.